Well, this morning we are going to start looking at one of the most controversial prophets of the Old Testament. We're going to take a look at Jonah. And uh, he truly was running from God and he truly was running empty. He had forsaken all that God wanted him to do and now would have to deal with it. Now, scholars of various traditions haven't agreed on what this book is about. There are some who look at it and say, ah, oh, it's just a parable. It, it's kind of like one of Jesus' parables. Others, including a colleague of mine when I was an adjunct professor at Xavier University, believed that it was a book of sarcasm, that the whole purpose behind the book of Jonah was to make fun of prophets. Now, those who take these kind of approaches do so largely because of one element in the story. What do you think is the element that causes the most problems for people to understand this story? It's the whale, swallowed by the whale. Uh, and they will say it's a whopper of a fishtail. Um, and the great fish of Jonah has occupied the minds of people for literally centuries since the, the book was written. Let me give you a, give you a, a show of that. Uh, several different illustrations. Now, to begin with, out of a children's Bible study book, and they make it bright and colorful, and they almost make it look like fun. But I want you to take a look at these older renditions that date back eight centuries, seven and eight centuries. These book, these artists' work are terrifying, and uh, it brings all sorts of ideas of horror upon you. Now, the interesting thing about this, most of the attention when it comes to the book of Jonah is focused on this fish. That's what people know the most about Jonah. Now, if you reject miracle... You simply write the story off. It is a fish tale. But those who believe the, the, the story have tried to prove the story by showing the possibility of a big fish swallowing a person. I don't know how many different stories I've ever heard about, well, a man was swallowed by a giant grouper. And several days later, it was caught, and they cut it open, and the man was still alive. And the stories go on and on. You may have heard those illustrations. I don't want to blow anybody's bubble. I don't want to burst it on you. But folks, none of those stories are historically accurate. They basically didn't happen. It's somebody trying to prove that the Bible could happen. And when you do that, you immediately ignore one of the most important parts of the text when it comes to the fish. The Bible says that God prepared a fish. In other words, this was a miracle. A miracle that can't be proven. It isn't that Jonah's ship gets in, a, in the windstorm and there just happens to be a grouper hanging around. God had a purpose and a plan. Now, I, I focus out, well, let me, one more thing about the fish itself. As much importance as we put on it, do you know that it's only mentioned twice in the whole book? Only twice. When it swallows Jonah and when it regurgitates Jonah. 
That's it. That's all that the fish is in there. Now, I believe in the historicity. I affirm the historicity of the, the book. But I need to point out the point of Jonah is not the fish. This book, I believe, stands as a cautionary tale for all of those who would choose to follow the God of Scripture. It stands for us. Folks, we need to understand this. A cautionary tale, and it stands for a warning. But it also is a tale demonstrating in very unexpected ways the grace of God. So, it is a warning to us. And that warning is essentially, don't be like Jonah. Don't be like a man who turns his back on the will and purpose of God. And we'll look at the grace side of this later. Now, another thing that absolutely fascinates me about this book is that there are no prophecies recorded to Israel or Judah. Jonah alone, in all of the prophets, never says a word to Israel or Judah in the time of this book. In fact, it takes a form of historical narrative, very similar to what you read in the five books of Moses, the stories of the patriarchs, and the story of Israel as it was making its way to Canaan. It tells the story of what the prophet did, And the only prophecy, and there is only one prophecy given in the whole book, it's given to a foreign people. So it's different than the other prophets. So how in the world did this book that is so different wind up in the prophets? Well, I told you, it's a cautionary tale. That's where we're going to begin today. Now, to help you see what I mean, what it's costing us about. I want to ask a question. How many of you have one of these things that you carry with you most of the time? Go ahead and raise your hand. Don't be afraid if you do. Okay. Now, those of you who carry one of these things, how many of you have ever received a call like the one shown on the screen, unknown caller? Okay. Almost everybody raised their hand to begin with. Okay. Now, what do you do when you get a call like this? Do you answer it? (laughs) Well, one rebel says yes. Uh, Most of us do not. Why? Because we have become increasingly aware of scams, of people who are trying to take advantage of you and are trying to trick you into, oh, your car's out of warranty, so you need to, and so forth and so on. What we do with these kind of calls, reject them. Probably most of us here, other than some rebels, most of us here reject them most of the time. Unless we're expecting a call from someone who's not in our contact. Today, we are going to look at a rejected call. But what is unique about this rejected call is a call from God Himself. God Almighty calls upon his prophet to do a task. And Jonah rejects it. So we're going to start our look at the book. So if you would stand. 
As we look at Jonah 1, 1 through 3. And hear carefully the word of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. Okay, so he is wanting to run away from God. He has decided to leave. Why? After paying the fare, he went and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord, to run from God. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So when you look at these three verses that open up the book of Jonah, it's very clear Jonah ran from the call of God. He simply went a totally different way. And it's important for us to understand for us. This, this is the cautionary tale. This is don't be like Jonah. The word of God gives us this so that we will know God's call in our lives always involved choices. Just like Jonah. God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah exercised it. His choices. So let's take a look. Because I believe there are two primary choices we've got here. So let's jump in. We have a choice to hear the call of God. Do you remember in the book of 1 Samuel? When Samuel's just a little boy, he keeps hearing a voice. Samuel, Samuel. And he keeps coming to his mentor, Eli. What's going on? And he says... Finally, he says, well, go back, and the next time you hear it, say, here, Lord, I'm listening. Well, God is giving Jonah the same kind of call. I've got something for you to do. Now, Jonah was given a commission by God. And again, a little ways, a bit of introduction. We know virtually nothing about this man. We do know that he is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, the only other place in the Old Testament, where he is identified as a true prophet of God, giving a message to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Then Jesus mentions about the sign of Jonah in the New Testament. So right at the start today, I want you to understand very clearly, Jonah was a real prophet of God. He's not like Balaam who will sell whatever message he's got to get whatever he can get. He is a real prophet called by God, given a message. In Kings, he obeys it. In Jonah, he does not. This fact that he's a true prophet is uh, confirmed by the very opening words of Jonah. You have probably heard the words, if you've read the prophets at all, The word of the Lord came to. This is a formula that shows up in several of the prophets when God was giving them the message to get their people. And Jonah's call was very specific. It's not this broad command. Jonah preached to Israel and Judah. It's very specific. He was to go to the great city of Nineveh. Now keep in mind, 
When the Bible calls it the great city, it's because of its size and its power. You would not want to live in Nineveh. It was a wicked place. It was a violent place. It was a dangerous place. So you're to go to Nineveh, and you are to, the NIV says preach. ESV says you are to call against it. You are to shout out against it that God is going to judge you. God is going to destroy you. Now, it's about 550 miles northeast of Samaria. Uh, the capital, Samaria was the capital of Israel. It probably would have taken Joseph more than a month to get there if he traveled the usual kind of route by caravan that would travel 15 to 20 miles a day. Assyria, the country of Nineveh, was noted for its brutality, particularly in war. They were horribly evil. They, they did not take prisoners. They brutalized and killed them. So as an enemy of Israel, you would expect a prophet of God who gets the message, go and tell Nineveh judgment's coming. You would expect a prophet to say, Amen. Amen. God's going to get our enemy. He should have started immediately after he got the call of God. But we know he did not. He chose instead to rebel. Now what does this have to do with me and you? All believers, please notice that. You might want to underline that or circle it. All believers believers have a call within their lives. All of us. Now, I am fully aware that that is not the way most Baptists perhaps see the phrase, a call to do ministry. Many evangelicals are right there with us. This is why I shared with you those passages of Scripture that I did in our responsive reading. Did you notice that none of those passages said preachers, deacons, bishops, follow the call of God? Did you notice that they were universal calls for us? While you may have thought a call of ministry in the past was, was a call, a vocational call to ministry. If I said, I've got a call to minister, you would think, okay, he's going to be a preacher. Or maybe a musician that leads worship. Or maybe a missionary. But you thought, vocational call into ministry. Well, I hope if, if you have still held on to a lingering thought about that, I hope we can lay it to rest right here, right now. Every child of God has a call to live for and serve our God. Now, they may come in various ways, but there are certain calls that are universal when we've looked at some of those today. Now, Warren Wiersbe hit the nail right on the head when he wrote, the Christian who does not know his high calling Within 3.14, I press on towards the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. His holy calling, 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And his heavenly calling, Hebrews 3.1, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. If we do not know these universal calls, that affect all of us, Wiersbe writes, that person will never be able to walk worthy of the calling. Ephesians 4.1, 1, 
I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Every one of you in this building today and every one of you that are listening and watching online, if you're a Christian, God has a purpose for your life, a calling to live for him. God is calling us to become the people we are meant to be. God is calling us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He's calling us to yield our lives to him, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. He is calling for us to pray, for us to share, for us to take up the burdens of one another. The calls go on and on. And we need, folks, we need to open our hearts to truly know what God wants for of us. We need to open our hearts. We need to say, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Tell me what it is you want. Bobby Scobie writes of a very amazing gentleman, a man of faith. He wrote, in the beginning of the 20th century, a young graduate of Cornell University was engaged in a most amazing effort to win the entire world for Jesus Christ. His name was John Armott. That was his goal. He wanted to see everybody know it's Jesus. And during his years as Secretary of the World's Student Volunteer Movement, Mott's travels took him everywhere. He went to Europe, the Middle East, Africa, India, Latin America, Australia, China, Japan, and the islands of the Pacific. All over the world, everywhere he went, he led young men and women to Christ. Now this is part that's amazing. I doubt this will ever happen again. But in 1946, Mott was honored with the Nobel Peace Prize. And he was, no, he was honored with it for his work in establishing and strengthening international Protestant Christian student organizations that would work to promote peace. Being peacekeepers. And I do believe that Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, says something about that. Blessed are the peacekeepers. But John Mott made a statement that has lingered in the hearts of a lot of people through a lot of centuries. And it is my prayer and hope that when you hear his words, God will not let them escape your memory. He said, oh, the awareness of a need and the capacity to meet that need, this constitutes When God makes you aware of a need and you can do something about it, you are being called by God to move and minister. Now, you may never be awarded a Nobel Prize. I'm not going to, you know, some of you young folks may do it and some of us old folks may do it. Not easily done. You may never travel the world reaching thousands of young people for Christ. But if you and I have a heart that is willing to see need, willing to open our eyes to what's going around us, if you and I have a capacity to do something about those needs, whatever they may be, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, God gives us the ability to do something. Let us ask God 
to give us the heart to hear him. God, please, don't let me remain deaf and dumb to the needs around me. Father, help me to hear you. Help me to move. So if we make a choice to hear God's call, Lord, you know, we sing that song, Open Our Eyes, Lord. There's a line in it, very important, open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. If we make a choice, Lord, I want to hear you. I want to know the ways you would amuse me. There is still one more choice we have to make. We have a choice to obey the call of God. It's always been interesting to me the number of people who say they want to know the will of God and will try any way possible to find it. Now, normally when people start saying, I want to know the will of God, they want to know things like, should I marry her or not? Should I go to this school or that school? Should I become an engineer or whatever? But isn't it interesting that so many people are saying, I want to know what the will of God, when the word of God clearly tells us what the will of God is in our lives that we often just don't hear. You know, go and be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. Love your enemy. All those kind of things. So we have a choice to obey. We're asking God to speak. Now we ask God to obey us. You see, Jonah turned his back on God's commission. He just simply, we're told, he went to flee from the Lord. For reasons we are not told in this passage of Jonah, Jonah ran from the presence of God. Now later on in the book, he will give a specific reason why he didn't want to go. But right here, it's, if we're, it's like we're reading it the first time. Why would he do this? Well, people have tried to explain it in a lot of ways. Some people, and folks, this would make sense. It really would make sense. Some said maybe he was just afraid of going to the Ninevites. He knew their reputation. Would you want to go into the roughest neighborhoods in New Orleans or New York City? Or, by the way, did you hear that Jackson, Mississippi, uh, for the second year running, has the highest murder rate per capita in our country? Go into the toughest place of Jackson and say, God's going to judge you. Maybe he was afraid. Some have argued that Jonah thought he could run away from the Lord. The presence of God. There were people in the day who believed God was the God of Israel and once you get out of Israel, he can't find you. Well, maybe he did that, but David knew the truth, didn't he? Where can I flee from your presence? I can't. Perhaps he just wanted to remove himself for the place of the call. If I can get away from where I heard the call, it won't bother my conscience so much. But for whatever reason he chose to run, the fact of his disobedience cannot be overemphasized. Because folks, in the end, you know the reason why Jonah ran away from God? When everything is said and done, the reason he fled the call, he didn't want to do it. 
Period. He did not want to do it. And this is unique among the prophets. No other prophet disobeys God blatantly like this. Jeremiah at one point says, God, I don't want to do it anymore. But he says, I can't help it. I've got to. Because there's a fire in my bones. Jonah just says no. Now, I want to put this in perspective for you geographically. Some of you know I like maps. Jonah came from Gath-Hefer. He he may be in Samaria at the time of his call. He may be at his home. We don't know. He is called to go to Nineveh and preach against the great city. (coughs) I have already shared that's about 550 miles northeast of where our prophet is. This is how determined he is to get away from God. Now, scholars aren't completely sure where Tarshish is, but the general concession is that Tarshish is in the area of what we would now call modern Spain, near Gibraltar. Folks, Jonah wanted to get away from God so badly, instead of going 550 miles to Nineveh, He goes 2,500 miles the opposite direction by sea. (coughs) Now that may not mean much to you. I know we've got cruisers in our, and not in terms of cruising the coast, people who like to get on boats and go everywhere. The Hebrew people did not like the sea. Most of the time if you're reading about it, it's not positive stuff. He was willing to risk whatever may come at the sea to keep from following God. 2,500 miles. Opposite direction. Go preach to Nineveh. This is a great big no. In all capital letters with all kinds of exclamation points behind them. And this was not an insignificant You have a true prophet of God. I keep wanting to come back. (coughs) He is not a phony. He really is a prophet of God who is now blatantly rebelling against the God who called him to be a prophet in the first place. This is harsh, people. This is tough. Jonah Jonah is a a champion prophet like Samson was a champion judge. Uh, Both very rebellious when it comes to what God wants them to do. Now, what do we learn from this cautionary tale? We must decide if we will follow or ignore God's purpose for our lives. I have been accused of being oversimplified in my concepts. But folks, I really do believe that for those who call Christ Lord, for those who are followers of God, these are the only two options. When we read and hear in the Word what God wants us to be, the only options we have, obey or ignore. Follow or disobey, period. 
Now, I'm not arguing for sinless perfection here. It will never happen. I'm not telling anybody in this room or online that you can live a perfect life of sinlessness in this world. Only Jesus Christ himself did that. And I'm not arguing, although I have a friend who say I, I am, I'm arguing uh, not for a works-based walk with God. The reality is we can't do this. We can't follow God without his moving in our lives. And so I'm arguing for a heart that realizes, apart from the op- opening myself up to the work of God's Spirit, I will continue making the same choice that Jonah made with my life. If I'm not yielding myself into my Father's hand and into the move of His Spirit in my life, I am disobedient. And when given the choice, I will make the wrong choice. But if, if we open up ourselves to follow God, if we open up our hearts to hear Him and be led by Him, something amazing happens. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. My favorite passage is the Scripture, and many of you have committed to memory. It is a beautiful passage, and it declares, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. That's kind of hard for a human being. That's kind of rough with our egos. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. He'll help us to see where to go. And He'll empower us the strength to go there. That's our choice. That's our call. That's our purpose. If we say, Lord, help me, move in me, change me, create in me the life you want. Lord, here I am, I yield myself to you. I want to commit myself as a living sacrifice into your hands. And so, we need to yield ourselves to God's purposes. We need to understand He is Lord and calls to be Lord in our lives. Always. In 1875, a British poet named William Ernest Henley published a short poem that expressed one way to cope with life's circumstances. I am pretty sure I am not the only one who is required in senior English to commit this poem to memory. The poem is Invictus. It ends with these lines. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And in popular culture, this this poem that declares with all the circumstances in my life beating down, my head may be bloodied, but it is unbowed. In popular culture, the last two lines usually represent some kind of heroic self-sufficient stand against evil and injustice. For over a hundred years, Henley's poem has inspired many people. In the 1980s, the poem encouraged former South African president Nelson Mandela throughout the dark days of his imprisonment. 
Years later, Clint Eastwood used it as the title for his popular film about the South African rugby team. Sadly, it was also a great influence on Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh. He was responsible for the deaths of 168 men, women, and children, and the injuries of 800 more. As his last words before his execution, he scribbled out the words of Invictus and handed it to the authorities. This is my final say. My head is bloodied, but unbowed. Journalist David Hannon called the poem a final and terrible act of defiance. The horror might indeed have awaited Henley, but he would go there on his own terms, leaving the spittle sliding down his maker's face. Now, 16 years after Henry first published Invictus, the British preacher Charles Spurgeon offered another philosophy of life. On June 7, 1891, in the closing words of his final sermon, Spurgeon urged his people to submit to a better captain for their soul. He said, every person must serve somebody. We have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no masters are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the uniform of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest for your souls. If you could see our captain, you would go down on your knees and beg him to let you enter the ranks of those who follow him. And I love this line. It is heaven to serve Jesus. God calls us in many different ways. There are those universal calls that let God change your life and make you who you ought to be. And then there are calls that are more specific. I have a place for you in children's or youth ministry. I, I'm calling you to, to become uh, a person who goes on mission trips to, to reach the world. Some of you, God may actually call you into full-time vocational ministry or some other kind of full vocational service. I pray that you will understand if we don't want our lives to be running on empty, if we don't want to be busy accomplishing nothing of significance and meaning, if you don't want that, then I hope that you will want God to move in your hearts so that we may learn, as Spurgeon knew, it is heaven to serve Jesus. Today, Make your choices. Pure and simple, make your choices. And I pray those choices will be to hear God's call in your life and to obey God's call in your life. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes.
if today you're willing to understand that this is a cautionary tale, that Jonah is not a hero in this story. If it's in your heart to know I don't want that to be my legacy. If today you're willing to say, Brother Danny, I want to hear God's call in my life. I want to see all the various things in his word that he calls for me to do and be. I would love to pray with you and I'd ask you right now, if it is your heart to hear the call, and just as an importantly, is your heart to listen to that call and say yes. Yes.